Hello, hello, hello. It is Monday evening and Michael from Grow Now Therapy and I are excited to do another episode of Chapter Chat. So we're going to wait for uh, some people to join us. Uh, Michael and I are always very excited uh, for Monday nights. So I think there is Mike. So let me get him on here. Excellent. Excellent. So we are actually... There he is. Here we are. Hey, how's it going? How's it going, Mike? It's going great. It's the best day of the week. I know. It's just so exciting, isn't it? So I was just getting ready to tell everybody that we are finishing up the final chapter of our first book of Chapter Chat, uh, and it's How Children Succeed uh, by Paul Tuff, and we are um, finishing it up tonight. So I'm kind of excited. Uh, of course, to do another episode and to chat with you. But I'm also equally excited about moving on to the next book. Are you excited about that as well? I am so excited. It's literally been sitting here. So as I'm reading this, this book is always right here next to me. Yeah. So like, yeah. so I'm I'm reading it, and like, and we've discussed before how oh, we have someone from Jamaica tonight. I Thanks know. For coming. Isn't that exciting? Very cool. Yeah. This this chapter chat is becoming a worldwide phenomenon. It is. So I love it. I love so, it. And so if you're already like here. Invite everybody. Yeah, my friend Alexis from Cheyenne, Wyoming. I saw she just joined, so I'm excited to see her tonight. So thank you. But um, so, yeah, we'll talk a little bit at the end about our next book because next week we will start uh, a brand new book. Um, it's basically going to be the same topic. Mike and I are very passionate about executive function, about uh, school reform, about what matters most, about trying to move away from the cognitive hypothesis as the driving force in what we deem to, um, you know, what makes students successful in school. So we are excited to see what they're doing in Finland because that is what our next book is all about. Is That's right. Is like in, um, in the country of Finland where they're just kind of kicking our butt. Um, and so uh, we, I'm very, very much looking forward to uh, taking a look at that. So tell me, Mike, first of all, how was your weekend? How's the baby? The baby's doing great. Uh, she's going to be six months in 10 days. Isn't that So exciting? super excited about that. So she's really getting a personality, oh. really becoming more independent, sitting up on her own, trying oh. to crawl. Uh, it's been great. We were up in my up in my wife's family this weekend, up in up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, uh, yeah. I was able I've to play some Hershey. I went to yeah. Park. Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's where, where my wife grew up. Yeah, okay. right, right, right there. Yeah, right around the corner from Hershey Park. Uh, so that was great. We were we got the baby out of the big city. Uh, she was able to sit in some grass and, uh, oh, and walk around. So that was, that was nice. Now tell so, me the baby's name again. Eden. E D E N. Eden. Uh, what a beautiful name. I love. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I can't wait to meet her. Can't wait to meet you in person someday. Yeah, yeah. Her name is what? Your wife's name? Laura. Laura. All right. Yes. Yeah. I feel like we're like besties, and yet we. Oh, oh, we're oh, we're besties. We're besties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no so, doubt about it. All right, Mike. So let's talk a little bit about the last chapter, the final chapter of how children succeed. Um, the chapter was called a better path. A better path. A better so, path. I was excited about this because I thought, okay, this is going to tell us, like, you know, where do we need to go? Where, you know, what's what are the next steps? And I got to tell you, it kind of, um, from the very first two pages, I was sitting there going, whoa, um, because really, I felt like so much of this chapter was about failure. Yes, it was a lot I mean, about failure. It was, and the importance of allowing children to fail. So, what do you think exactly. about that? 
Yeah. So uh, I, I also went into it, especially the first time I read it. Uh, you know, the, the basically chapters one through four are all about what's happening, why it's not working, and why our kids are failing, and why we lead the world in college dropouts. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the failures of the cognitive hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So you get, to, you get to the last chapter, A Better Path, and you think there's going to be some nice action points in here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, towards what we can do. And you really don't get that. So yeah. it's, re- it's really not a lot of action points. There's really nothing from this last chapter you can take and say, okay, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start doing that. But what he does do is he just goes – so the strongest thing I think that Paul Tuff did in this book was highlight the research. He mm-hmm. talked to a lot of the big, uh, the big game changers here, uh, Duckworth and – uh, just all, he, he spoke to so many people that are just really, really deep into this career of child psychology, mm-hmm. educational psychology, and all these incredible things. And he really touches on the science. Uh, and he really, really hits on it. So there's one page where basically I have the whole page highlighted. Yeah. Uh, what is page pa- is it? Let me see. Page, page 182 and 183. Yep. yep. So, so he, he dives right in here on the top of page 182. To me, the most profound discovery this new generation of neuroscientists has made is the powerful connection between infant brain chemistry and adult psychology. So there we go. Everything always goes back to early childhood. Everything goes back to it. So it's early intervention, preschool, kindergarten. Those are such crucial years. And this connection between infant brain chemistry and adult psychology, and it's these two things. Yep. Keep them keep them away from serious trauma and chronic stress, of course, which is highly tied to economics, as we learned, mm-hmm. and and then a secure, nurturing relationships. So those relationships. Yep. Uh, yep. So it all comes back down to that that infant brain chemistry. It always it always does. And rem- remember, this book started with him in a kindergarten classroom, yep. and it's ending with him talking about the early uh, the early uh, childhood experiences. Uh, and all those connections between early childhood and adult, and you know, just like from the beginning, it always comes back down to relationships and experiences. Uh, those are those are the biggest things. And then he hops right over here, uh, and he's talking about his own son, whose name is Ellington, uh, and he's talking about how he started to uh, cave into the cognitive hypothesis when he was younger. Uh, and then he talks about he he eventually realized. He also needed discipline, rules, limits, and someone to say no. And what he needed more than anything was some child-sized adversity, a chance to fall down and get back up, here's the key thing, on his own. So a chance to fall down, get back up on his own without help. The learning how to manage failure. Absolutely. So what I, some of the the notes that I took just from like the first two pages was the importance of genuine opportunities to overcome adversity, being allowed to fail. And so it made me think of this question. Um, And I think it was something that he kind of posed in here, but was how do you build perseverance if you never have to struggle? So if we helicopter over our children, if we do everything for them, we do their science project for them, we um, run their homework up to them at school when they forget it so they don't get in trouble. You know, when we when we intervene and we take care of everything for kids, how in the world can we expect children to develop grit and persistence and resiliency if they never have to struggle? So struggle is really what this is all about. And so, um, you know, I thought something that we should ask our viewers tonight is, you know, 
what are your ideas about failure and success? Yes. And this is, I think, one of the most powerful questions that we need to consider. How willing are you? Let's talk about ourselves before we talk about children. How willing are you to do something when success is not guaranteed? Mm. Because mm. here's the deal. In early childhood, and this is why play is, you know, if you follow me on social media, you know, I talk about play incessantly to the point where some people just unfollow me, I think, because they get sick of hearing me talk about the it's not me. Of play. I share but it. Play is so important because it is through play. See, here's the why learning through play is so important. For any of you naysayers who maybe think, no, we need to be doing worksheets and, you know, we need to be doing flashcards because there's no wrong in play. Okay. So the best way to learn is to be engaged in something where you, you, you give, you know, your full attention, your full interest, your full focus, and you can do it any way you want. You can be creative. You can be imaginative. There's no wrong in play. And so when you're trying to stack blocks or line dominoes up or whatever it is you're trying to do, and it doesn't work the way you want, you try again and maybe you try a different way, right? So you figure out, oh, maybe if I, you know, put them at this angle, or maybe if I build it up here, maybe if I add a, a second, you know, support beam, I mean, whatever it is, this is why children need to play. So for me, I will just tell you personally, um, I used to work for a big um, uh, you know, I mean, I had a job as a speech therapist for uh, a company where I had a 401k, I had vacation. I mean, I was a 40 hour a week employee and I just was kind of miserable. I wanted yep. I had big ideas yep. about things I wanted to do. I had big programs I wanted to start and they were always like, well, we can put it in front of the board, but it'll probably, you know, and I was just like, gosh, why can't we just do these things? And so mm -hmm. when I decided to go out on my own and start my own company, I'm not what I would call much of a risk taker. I'm very much a rule follower. I don't really, you know, buck the system much. But my husband, thank goodness, is somebody who I now understand is willing to do something when success isn't guaranteed. Until I met my husband, we've been married 28 years now, um, I was not somebody who would take a chance like that, who would give up a full-time job with a guaranteed paycheck, guaranteed benefits to do what we did. But I'm so grateful. Um, you know, our business, we've been uh, self-employed now since 2003. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. So for me now, doing something when success isn't guaranteed is just every day when I wake up. That's what I do. Because I have no guaranteed paycheck. I mean, I'm a professional speaker. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's a crazy life. So I think about this is what's so important for children is that we instill in them the willingness to do something, even if it's going to be hard, right? There you even go. If they don't know if they're going to do it well, because you have to practice to do anything well. So what do you think about failure and success? Well, I think the story that you just told about you starting your own practice is really similar to my story. You know, with, with me and my executive functioning challenges, uh, I, you know, I was experiencing failure after failure after failure after failure. And I, I, I never really worked and felt passionate about something and knew I was in the right place until, uh, until speech pathology came around. And then, you know, I was in my CFY, uh, and I was in a very similar experience. You were working for a big company and, you know, feel like I'm not making change in kids and it's all about productivity. It's all about, you know, different right. things and I'm not doing it my way. Uh -huh. And that's really, you know, that's what drove me to start this practice and specialize in executive functioning and, you know, do these chapter chats with you and these yeah, sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, uh, you know, that's a, that, that's a story for another time. No one it wants is, to hear, no one, no one wants to hear my life story. Uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I do, but yeah, yeah. we're here to but, talk about 
about how children succeed. How so children succeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So overall, uh, what what you're saying about play, and do you remember what I, what I said in an earlier episode about the connection between play and executive functioning? Remember that? Well, yeah, you talked about how it's through play where that internal voice um, begins, right? Where they start, they talk aloud. And, and so tell us about yep. that. Right? So, of course, we, we all, all of us have a firm understanding, if you're a parent or an SLP, the period of language acquisition, how language is acquired throughout childhood, you know, by, by playing with kids, by speaking to them, by exposing them to language, by social play, these sorts of things. But there's also the period of executive functioning acquisition, which moves right alongside the period of language acquisition, because executive functioning is needed for language, and they go hand in hand, of course. Right. But just so the, the thing to think about when it comes to executive functioning acquisition, it's all about external to internal. So executive functioning is a synonym for independent skills, kids who have grit, kids who have perseverance, kids who have curiosity, kids who have character kids who have strong executive functioning. So it's all about external, needing external help, external prompts, external scaffolds to it becoming internal and independent. So the, the thing about play is what we now know, and this is what Tuff describes in turn when he says uh, infant brain chemistry and adult psychology, he talks about this. And uh, with play, play is external, manual play with your hands. You're playing, like you said, there's no wrong way to stack blocks. There's no wrong way to play. It's all, there you go. It's all about play and those sorts of things. But what we have to remember, play also, along with speech, so around five to seven, kids uh, coach themselves and they, and they use their brain coach, but it's external. And then around the ages of five to seven, the external brain coach becomes internal. And so let's give are, an example of that. So let's mm -hmm. say you're three, four, five years old and you're stacking your cups and yep. they fall down and you go, uh-oh, blocks fall down. That's there external, right? They're saying what is happening. But once they get older, they don't need to verbalize it, but they are saying thinking it. it. They're thinking it. They're saying, exactly. man, the blocks, you know, the cups fell down. I need to find the right size cup. That one wasn't it. But they're not yep. saying it out loud anymore because their executive functioning skills are developing exactly so so basically uh like if you put a five-year-old to bed at night and you turn the lights out close the door and you know put your ear to the door you're going to hear that kid talking to themselves and going running through their day and having an ex it's a lot of self-talk but it's all external and then when executive functioning starts to develop it goes from external to internal and then it's an internal private voice and in the beginning you'll still see their mouth move like but and then eventually the mouth stops moving and it's all internal. And that's the and it, and the speech goes from external to internal. And play does the exact same thing. So play during the preschool early childhood years is external. Kids play with their blocks, they play with their cars, they play with their toys, they play with their dolls, whatever it may be. And then play eventually also goes internal. And kids learn to plan, prioritize, problem solve, self regulate. Uh, and just come up with all these game-changing things they're able to do internally, and that's the foundation of grit, curiosity, perseverance. It all starts with play, and that's, that's, that's the most important thing. So we, when we hear the word play, we think of kids playing outside. We think of kids playing with toys. 
But no, there's also internal play. And when you wake up in the morning and you come up with a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, uh, you know, do I ride my car? Do I drive to work? Do I ride my bike to work? Do I walk? Do I exercise? Do I go to the grocery store? When you're planning your day in your brain up here, that's play. You're playing and you're doing it up here in your brain. You're planning and you're prioritizing. Uh, and these are and, and these are it, it's and we all know these things. And it's uh, and these are things that are not discussed in schools or practiced in schools. That's the number one thing that I think about when I read this book is why are the topics found in this book never discussed in right. schools? Right, right. So it's almost like based on what you're saying, Mike, like play is almost the catalyst for executive function. You know, absolutely. All, absolutely. Mean, it's, just, it's a fascinating. It's, thing it's, it's a cat. It's a catalyst to language, too. Oh, absolutely. It's, there you go. Absolutely. It's it, it's the it's the think about it. You know, why is joint attention so huge? You know, why is the ability to play with others such a crucial skill? Like I'm sure some of us some SLPs here have worked with kids with autism that struggle with joint attention and joint attention is really hard for them even later in life. These are the kids that really can't self-regulate. You know, you're not going to have no joint attention but still the ability to self-regulate. You're not going to have no joint attention plus really strong language. You know, it, it's really all about uh, play and being able, you know, if you can work it out manually through play, you can work it out up here too. Yeah, it's fascinating. It really is. And that's why one of my go-to statements for years as a professional speaker has been, play is a reflection of development. Look at and this quote right here we have here. Look at this. The most successful children that leave my program at the Goddard School in Wayne, New Jersey, are the ones who can play, not the readers or the ones who can count to 100. I love it. Absolutely. There you go. So, this is perfect. So on page 181 of this chapter, it says, we know the first years are critically important in brain development. Nobody's going to argue with that. But the most significant skills aren't those taught with, quote, make you smarter flashcards. So this may be there you go. a couple books there on myself here. Okay, one of them is called, and I've, I've mentioned this one before, Bye Bye Baby, which is a book all about the commercialism of childhood. And, you know, mm -hmm. now because of commercialism in early childhood, we have to buy clothes that have Elmo or Elsa or Spider-Man on it. We have to buy diapers that have those characters. We have to buy sippy cups that have, right? So that's what we know. That's what the commercialization of childhood has done is made. It's just so that we'll give them, you know, our money. Little kids um, are, are taught to become attached to commercialized figures because of marketing, because of, you know, this exact thing. But here's another really powerful book. This is an old book, but it's amazing. Einstein never used flashcards. Wow. And, um, it is a really amazing go. book that explains the power of play and how in we live because our society is hyper-focused on the cognitive hypothesis, which if this mm -hmm. is your first night with us, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, the cognitive hypothesis says, look, um, we know early childhood is important for brain development, so we need to make babies smarter faster. So in the in the mid-1990s began the baby educating toy industry. That's when Baby Einstein DVDs came out. It's when Brainy Baby educational videos, Your Baby Can Read program. All of those things came out because parents have been um, and, and basically our whole society has been um, kind of uh, taken in by this cognitive hypothesis that, ooh, if we can teach 
you know, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. If we can hurry up and teach them to read, if we can yep. hurry up and teach them to write, they're going to be so much more ready for school. And all you have to do is ask a kindergarten teacher, what do you want to see in a kid who comes to kindergarten? And they're going to tell you, look, I'm a teacher. I'm here to teach them how to read and write and all of those things. What I need is a child who can focus, who can attend, who is self-regulated, who can hang up their own backpack, who can plan um, the activities. You know, when I say line up, that means push your chair in, you know, go get in the line, don't push, don't shove. Um, you know, we need kids who have um, non-academic executive function skills. And I think that we are so hyper-focused on academic skills that we forget that school readiness is more than academic readiness, right? School readiness has to include those non-academic skills, those executive function skills. And unfortunately, that's what's missing in our education system today. And that's why Paul Tuff wrote the book, because, um, you know, the it's such a, a, a missing, it's like the missing piece, you know, to the, the, the missing link, the missing link, the missing link. It really, <laughs> it really is, if you will. Um, so I, I wrote down a term here that remember when we first started this and we talked about, you know, failure and success. Um, one of the things, you know, that I've been talking about for years is the importance of parents, caregivers, therapists, teachers, everybody um, creating or making sure that children have moments of healthy frustration in their day. Yeah. So yeah. for me as a therapist, it's um it's about making sure activities are not too easy and they're not too hard. So it's about achieving that just right level so that the child is pushed to learn and develop new skills, but doesn't get so frustrated that they give up and say, I'm dumb, this is too hard, I hate school, I hate this, right? So it's it's really about creating moments of healthy frustration. And so this is where, and I've given this analogy before, but I know we have people on here who haven't listened before, that whole ebb and flow, you know, that I talk about go. as a therapist, yep. this is what we do. Yep. We push, push, push the child um, in an attempt to teach new skills. And when we sense because we're very sensitive, um, mm -hmm. you know, communication partners, play partners, um, caregivers. When we sense that the child is starting to get too frustrated, what do we do? We pull back. And we either give more prompts, you know, more cues, we yep. um, pull back on our expectations a little bit until the child self-regulates and we get to a good spot. We repair the relationship. So I've, I've said over and over that in therapy, in speech therapy, we're doing one of two things always. We're either teaching new skills or we're pulling back and repairing the relationship. Teaching new skills, pulling back and repairing the relationship. And so, so much of this got me thinking about a topic that really, it sort of is mentioned in this chapter Mike, when they talked about high licking and grooming rats, do you remember they mm. talked about, they did a study where they mm -hmm. talked about, they studied rats and they call them high LG parenting. And yes, LG yes, yes. For licking and grooming. Yep. And this was so fascinating to me because I talk in my play seminar a lot about helicopter parenting. And, you know, they say that the high licking and grooming rat parents were not helicoptering. They were not hovering because rat parents who hover over their babies cause great anxiety. Yep. Um, and so yep. the only time they lick and groom, not only, but the primary time they lick and groom their baby rats is when the baby rats, the pups, are stressed out. And so this is what I'm like, 
this is exactly what we do, right? What we do as adults is we are there for the child. They're upset, they're distressed, you know, they're they're overwhelmed, they're anxious. And what are we gonna do? We're gonna give them support, we're gonna yep. reach out and, and help them. So it got me thinking about parenting styles. And um, well, I think we mentioned this one other week that there's really, and I don't know, you can, you know, when you Google it, there's there's either three to five different parenting styles, but the authoritarian parenting is where you're the the disciplinarian, right? So there's it's a lot of um, they're very strict. There's a lot of punishment. Communication is one way. It's the parent talking at the child, you know, telling them what they have to do. Um, rules are given but not explained. Um, parents are less nurturing, and expectations are extremely high for child's behavior but there's very little flexibility and tolerance. Then we have permissive parenting, and this is where basically anything goes. You want which to is, the, which is the one that's sure. most popular today. Yeah, you yes. can have ice cream for breakfast because I don't want you yes. to be upset. I want to be your yes. friend. So since yep. I'm the parent and I want to yep. be your friend, oh, you want to play on your screen for nine hours? Well, by all means, go ahead yep. because I mean yep. it's not going to hurt you that much, right? So yep. we have permissive parenting. Then we have uninvolved parenting, which is, I think, really sad, which is basically – there's not, they don't even care. They're probably dealing with their own mental health issues to the point where the child just raises themselves, right? And then there's authoritative. So not authoritarian, but authoritative parenting. Exactly. Which and very is different. what we want to be. And this is where parents are reasonable and nurturing. They set high, but very clear expectations. Rules are clearly explained. There's a why um, for the rules, okay? Children are taught to think for themselves. They're taught self-discipline. Um, uh, so, um, th these are the parents who are the most nurturing. They say, I love you. They actually say the words out loud, right? Expectations and goals are very high, but clearly stated. And they actually ask children to have input on the goals. And it just makes me think when our daughters who are now, um, you know, graduated from college, um, but, uh, when they were in middle school, Actually, the end of elementary school, we started having family meetings. So we'd be like, well, we want to go on a family vacation. We want to have a family meeting and get your input about where, where we should go. And our, our daughters thought that was so cool that whenever there was a big family decision to be made, we always had a family meeting. And we actually taught the girls to do pros and cons lists. We'd actually write them down. And I think back to, wow, we were teaching executive function skills, you know, way back then. And it was just because of the, the, the parenting style that we were using. So I just feel like this kind of ties in a little bit to this chapter. What do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, so a, a really good friend of mine, uh, Ryan Wexelblatt, the, the ADHD dude, he, oh. wrote an, he wrote an article for Attitude Magazine, ADD Attitude Magazine. Okay. It's, it's called In Defense of Authoritative Parenting. You can just Google In Defense of Authoritative Parenting, and it comes up, and he talks about the rise of permissive parenting, mm -hmm. how it has become basically the norm now of parents really don't want to uh, don't want to upset their kids. Upset they don't the want, apple cart, they don't right? want to, upset, exactly. Yeah. There you go. So they're, they're, they want to be their kid's friend. They want their kid to always be happy. They want their kid to never to have like to struggle them. to yeah, like them, to, to, like to, them. to, to so always, yep. If you're permissive, you're not letting them fail either, are you? Exactly. You're giving them everything they want. You're, exactly. You're, you're, you're teaching them to be entitled in an essence, yep. right? And the term authoritative has gotten such a negative right. stigma because people confuse it with, with authoritarian. authoritarian, but it's not. Every single home to build strong executive functioning has to have limits. I cannot tell you the vast majority of the families that come to my clinic, 
do not have limits towards screen time. Right. Kids can kids can be on YouTube. They can be on their tablets. They can be on their phone. I work with fourth graders with phones. I work with second graders with phones. It's ridiculous. Kindergartners. Kindergartners oh, with phones. So, so, so there you go. Favorite question, Mike. I post on this like once a week now. How many non-screen experiences has your child had today? Exactly. Every time after we have this, I ask, I like somehow in social media, try to bring that up. I did a reel on it. I'm just learning to make reels. How many non-screen experiences has your child had today? Uh, This is about screen time mindfulness. How many of you that are listening tonight, remember last week we talked about screen time mindfulness. A lot of you were like, I love that term. I've never heard that term. But wouldn't you agree, Mike? I mean, you're dealing with the older kids who are, let's be honest, addicted, right? To screen time, okay? So we can't wait till they're in high school and already addicted to screen time, struggling to make and keep friends, you know, struggling uh, to to sit through a class in school. We have to start in early childhood, right? Yep, yes. And and these are the families that I get. So uh, like uh, I posted before on my social media, I get a flood of calls around September, October, sure. November of kids that are flunking out of their first year of high school, but they had a 4.0 in high school. They took AP classes, but their parents were constantly prompting them. I work so with flunking some- out of college. You mean they're fresh? Oh yeah, they're 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 okay. flunking out of their first semester of college. Okay. But meanwhile, in high school, they had a 4.0. They took honors classes. They took AP classes. These kids were bred for college. But they had unbelievably uh, prompted via their IEP, their their IEP never faded prompts, their 504 never faded prompts, their parents basically acted as their frontal lobe, permissive, <laughs> permissive parenting. It was crazy. I work with some students in high school whose parents actually do their homework for them. I'm serious. I've, I, I see this. Parents are, they're sitting down and they're doing work for them. Kid, kids are saying, no, I don't want to do this. I work with some kids, I'm telling you right now, that have never done a non-preferred task in their life. I'm Lucy, telling that's you. That's your favorite question. Every th- week when we talk, yes. Mike says, yes. if your kid can't complete a non-preferred task before doing a preferred task, you have a major issue, right? There, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so like Paul Tuff here talks about uh, you know how how his son now how he learned from this experience of writing this book. He needed in his life. He didn't need flashcards. He he, he didn't need these things. He needed discipline, rules, yep. limits, someone to say no, and a little bit of adversity. Okay, so so we're talking about words that have started to get a little bit of a stigma. So authoritative authoritative parenting has started to get a little bit of a stigma and parents think they have to yell, they think they right. have to scream. If right. you actually if you look up the definition of authoritative parenting, there's zero yelling. There's no. zero yelling, there's you need zero to fights. All, all that emotion from discipline. Yes. Because let's exactly. say again, I know it's not the broken record here. I've said this probably yep. 20 times, but discipline means to teach. What is yep. a disciple? A disciple yep. is somebody who's learning, right? So when we discipline, discipline is not the same as punishment. And that's where, again, I feel like our words have gotten mm-hmm. bushy. Wouldn't you agree? Like our, our understanding, our definitions, we think yep. punishment and discipline are, are synonyms. They are not. Uh, discipline is to teach. And we do that with loving hearts and we do it with, we remove that emotion. So the words I wrote down, Mike, from this chapter is when in the high licking and grooming rap parents, okay, obviously we don't Room and lick our children as humans. So these are the things that they see in um, in the parenting style that we're talking about: comforting, hugging, talking, reassuring, discipline, rules, limits. They say the word no, and they provide child-sized adversity. There you go. 
There so you, you go. Want to talk about a recipe. Like, what do yep. we need to do? But, you know, I, I feel like, I don't know, we, we need to, it has to start in early childhood. We have to start with parenting, okay? Um, what did somebody say? I love that you guys have to drink wine. To <laughs> well, I don't know that Mike hey. does, but I certainly do. I, so water, water with a green tea bag. Yeah, so one glass away from saying something brilliant. So you tell there me you go. get there, okay? <laughs> but um, yeah, so but- so what I so another word that's really starting to get this negative connotation is adversity. So parents hear this word adversity and they think, oh, my son has to really, really, really get upset, and he has to pick himself up and do this. He has to go play a sport he doesn't want to play, or he has to oh. get into a fight with his friend, or he has to do this. <laughs> we're talking about the kids of today. We're talking about the kids of 2021. So when we're talking about adversity, how about what we talked about last week? How about you make them do an entire car ride with no phone? That's right. adversity. We're not talking about your son has to cry and scream no. and do all these things. We're talking about how about you ask your son to be screen-free for a couple of hours? That's mm-hmm. adversity. You're not, yep. depri- you're not depriving him of food, water, shelter, friendship, any of those sorts of things. We're talking about adversity that's going to get him to him or, him or her to mm-hmm. use their imagination, right. learn how to deal with bur- boredom. You know, perseverance back in the day really meant, you know, I'm going to, you know, study, do a book report, do all these things. Perseverance for today's kids is how to deal with boredom. Let's be honest. People have changed. And we live in this instant gratification world now. We already had about five topics today talking about iPads and screens. So adversity for today's generation, adversity for today's kids is to not be around screens, to use their imagination and do old school pretend play. So like, for example, like, uh, when I do my outings, my grown out outings that you inspired me to do uh, in this summer, uh, you know, I'll send an email out to parents a couple of days before and I'll say, OK, this week we're going indoor rock climbing. This week we're going to do a hike. This week we're going to the mall, these sorts of things. I always get a response from a couple of parents saying, like saying, saying, I asked him and he said he he said no. He, he, he doesn't said, want to go. He said he doesn't want to do it. And then another thing I get is, you know, parents will contact me and say, hey, I really, really need your services. I really need your executive functioning services. My son or daughter is struggling, but I'm really, really concerned. I'm not going to be able to get him to come to your clinic. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to get him to sit in front of a computer to do it. So, and that's like the, that's like the the biggest thing is like, uh, I'm not going to be able to get him to come. Like he, he, all these sorts of things, or he just said no. So it, a little bit of adversity makes those decisions exactly so so that's the thing that's the thing you are the parent, and it is your job to make sure that your child has uh has unique and diverse experiences this is this is the summer of 2021 after the summer of 2020 when we were social distancing and we were inside if there was a time now hey it was august 1st yesterday it's the last month or the last couple of weeks before school starts i'm telling you right now telling you right now they, these are the weeks to do a full out screen detox. Yep. Get the screens away from your friends, the weather from your, from your kids. Uh, the weather is nice. Get them outside, and and you need to and don't let them say no. If if they if your kid says no to something and says no, I don't want to do it. It should set alarm bells off in your head that he needs to do it. 
Right, right. So what this is, is about creating the way we create screen time mindfulness, because living in the digital age, this is a mandatory requirement now that we are already so far behind in as parents, as educators, as therapists, we have to establish screen time mindfulness. And so we need to raise children to think about balance, right? How many non-screen experiences have I had compared to how many screen experiences I've had today? We as adults, wouldn't you agree, Mike? It's very easy for us to get sucked in, right? Oh, yeah. Screen time. And so it's going to be really important that we establish in early childhood screen time rules. And I don't care how old your kids are. If you're a parent right now, um, I want you to leave this um, uh, chapter chat tonight and think about, do I have screen time rules? Because if you don't, you have to. And here's why. Because children do not wake up in the morning and make decisions that benefit their development. Who does? Who is supposed to wake up in the morning and make decisions that benefit their child's development? Who is that? It's the hey, parent. I, hey, it I have a... And the yeah. caregiver. And as the child gets older, mm-hmm. we transfer that to them, right? Because that's what becoming independent, we talk about independence being a synonym for executive function skills, right? So it there has you go. to start in early childhood so that when you're 12, when you're 14, when you're 24, that you wake up in the morning and you make good decisions that benefit you know, you as a human being, not give into instant gratification and sit and play video games nine hours a day. Yep. So I I have worked with so many families that have struggled with screen time mindfulness and putting screen time limits in their home that I ended up making a packet of filled with research and filled with worksheets. So so, so there you go. So so if if you're a teacher or if you're a parent and you're struggling with screen time limits in your home, shoot me a DM on Instagram and say, hey, Mike, I would like your packet. I will send it to you. It is filled with research. It's filled with information. It's filled with worksheets that can 100% get your child or get your students. If you're a teacher or an SLP, provide it to your parents. If you're a parent, please use it. This needs to happen, and, and there's no better time to do it now. Like I've said a thousand times, listen, this is very important. I, I tell every parent this. I have never, ever in my entire career worked with a parent that decreased screen time and ended up regretting it. Right. They, they 100%, they got through the first two or three weeks, however severe right. the issue is, they got through that first two weeks of fighting, and then they saw a brand new kid, an improved kid. Think about yourself. Think of like I remember when it was full, straight up teletherapy during uh, during the quarantine of last year, and I would be in front of my computer all day. I'd be on my phone all day, and there was social distancing. There it is, the grow now executive function. Yeah, the tech is executive function. That's it. That's the one. That's yeah, what I'm talking about. I right? have all. The, I have all the research in there. I have all the, and then there's worksheets in the back of it. Uh, so that's exactly what it is. So ton, and can I tons show of, my, yeah. on my website, carrieebertseminars.com, I work with birth to five. I yep. have a free, when there you, you go. go to my website, there's a, you scroll down, there's a section called free downloads. And I have one called, can you read that? Establishing healthy screen time habits. It's a one page handout. Okay. Um, for parents who, uh, caregivers of the birth to five population. So Mike and I go. are doing everything we can to try to provide support. Um, but when we talk about executive function, when we talk about how kids succeed, I'm going to tell you right now in the digital age, it starts with screen time mindfulness. Okay? Exactly. That's the, that's the first step. So if we learned anything from this book, you know, yes, schools are, you know, we're going to learn a lot about what Finland did to help their schools. But if we really want kids to succeed, if we want kid to have these, kids to have these non-cognitive character skills, right. aka executive functioning skills, it's parents it's educators, it's workers who work in school, and it's also people like us, SLPs, OTs, PTs, right. therapists, whoever it may be. 
Uh, and and uh, Carrie was talking about before with that ebb and flow, how we push the kid, we repair, push the kid to repair. The reason we're able to do that, and I say this all the time, is because we focus on relationships. Relationships, right. relationships. I'm, of course, an SLP. I'm biased. But I believe that we are master rapport builders. So like when I, when I said before, when parents contact me and say, I will not be able to get my son to go to your clinic, or I won't be able to get my son to go to your, uh, to attend a Zoom session with you. I always say, hey, get him on, get him on, get him to that first meeting, get him to the clinic the first time, get him on a teletherapy the first time, and I'll take care of the rest. Right. Because, because, right. because in his head, he's thinking, this is taking, this is taking me away from my games. Right. It's taking right. me away from YouTube. He's going to make me sit and talk about my feelings. Right. That's, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to like that. It's going to be like virtual school. And then you, you have to provide them with a new, a new unique experience. Right. And then 100 times out of 100 times after that first session, uh, that, that, that student is always like, sure, I'll do it again. I'll next week. No, I'll do it back. But the, but the parent was scared to death because yeah. the, the, the kid was saying no and the parent didn't want to be the bad guy. And it's because they're asking them to do a non-preferred, non-preferred test. And the reason it's non-preferred, so you guys ready for this? Because this is important, is because it's new. Because yep. what Mike talked about, and Mike has taught me so much since we've known each other for, what, a year, a little over a year? Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Is that the importance of varied experiences. If you want to do what is right for your child, you must give them varied experiences because this is how we teach the brain to be flexible, right? You're yep. going to try new things. I know you don't know exactly how it's going to go. You can't predict exactly how you're going to feel or whatever. But when um, we have children whose nervous systems are addicted to screen time where it's that instant gratification, there's all these rapid firing lights and, and noises and everything is right there. The thought of having to like go to talk to a stranger. I mean, that just causes anxiety in and of itself. You want me to go talk to a grown man I've never met before? Like, uh-huh. why do I do? That, that's, uh, that's scary. I don't want, that's dumb, mom. I'm not going to do that. Well, of yep. course not, because it's outside your comfort zone. So let's be clear that varied experiences are going to take everybody out of their comfort zone. And this is why my son is autistic and every IEP meeting we go to, I use these exact words. You guys need to rock his world. You are making yep. things too easy for him, too predictable. Yep. You have yep. rearranged your whole classroom to accommodate him. There you go. He thinks that that's what he's owed. He thinks yep. the world is going to bend over backwards to make sure that his day never gets disrupted, to make sure he always sits in the same colored chair. He always yep. wants the green chair and he has a complete meltdown when the green chair isn't available because yep. you guys and fed into that because you wrote an accommodation in the IEP that says Aaron is allowed to always sit in the green chair. No, when we play sorry, I pick green because green is his favorite color. He's like, but mom, green's my favorite color. And I said, well, this week I'm green, <laughs> right? Today I'm green. There you go. And I have to rock his world because in his brain, he likes everything to always be the same. Sorry, dude, the world doesn't work like that, right? There so you this go. This is why we have to focus on varied experiences. The other term that is, you know, as an early childhood person is uh, my favorite term is relationship-based learning. Our go. society focus on, focuses on screen-based learning. Yep. What we need to do is talk about, look, yes, your kid can wrote, memorize some concepts while sitting in front of a screen. They can learn their letters, numbers, shapes, and colors. Nobody's disagreeing with that. But um, my new favorite one-liner, I did a post not too long ago of all my favorite one-liners in early childhood. But one of my new favorite <laughs> one-liners is that language plus experience equals learning. There you go. 
Okay. There you go. You can't sit in front of a screen and wrote nope. memorize something. And because they have language, you can't call that learning because there's yep. no experience with that. It is experience plus lang language plus experience is what equals learning. So what are we doing in the digital age to give children varied experiences? There you go. There you go. And, and you're, you're talking. So I put up that post last week about how uh, 504s can increase prompt dependence. And, 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 and that, that ended up being a little bit of a controversial post. I got tons of messages from people saying, my 504s are amazing. My son is thriving off of his 504, all these sorts of things. Okay, great. I've seen IEPs that have done wonderful things for kids. Great. But the, let's be honest. A lot of you know uh, caseloads are huge for SLPs, OTs, PTs, and these therapists do not have the time, the resources, or the finances to make totally individualized goals for every single kid. You only have time to copy and paste and to you know just kind of just do what you think is best based off of diagnoses and things like that. It's very very hard to make a totally unique IEP or 504 for a student. You basically have a goal bank. Or you have a list of accommodations, right. and if those and if those goals, if 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 you don't start focusing on transition services around eleventh grade, and if you don't start fading prompts and fading scaffolds, the goal of having an IEP and a five hundred four is basically to no longer need that IEP or the five hundred four. Right. That's basically you graduate it. with it still in place. Yes. Yes. But uh, but parents now are, and and this is the number one thing that I'm I get passionate about is. Uh, you know, we as SLPs and, and OTs, we can make mistakes, but if we keep making those mistakes over and over and over again, it's going to start to influence the parents and they're going to start thinking that they need certain things for their kids because of our mistakes. And here's the most important thing. Uh, parents now think that their kid needs that IEP, needs that 504. It's their safety net. It's, it's keeping them going. No, you know, you, I, I have sat in uh, IEP meetings where the teachers have said to the parents, he doesn't need that 504 anymore. He's thriving. He's doing well. He's going into his senior year. Let's get rid of this 504. It's time for him to be independent. There you go. Yes. And the parents, the, the parents hire advocates yeah, to, 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 keep, to, to keep that 504. Right. You know, there has to be fading prompts. The kid has yes. to be independent. Yes, there's services in college. Yes, colleges are doing a better job individualizing yes. and those sorts of things and careers. And there's the Individuals with Disabilities Act and those sorts of things. But look, we, you have to be aware. Uh, many IETs have predetermined accommodations that have been included based on what departments of education say, totally not individualized. Absolutely. And, that, and that's our friend right there. That's our friend right there. Every time she comments, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make yeah. sure we okay, shout her out. So let me say this. As a therapist, I always tell parents, my goal is to have you fire me. I mean, my goal is for your child to not need my services anymore. That should be the goal there of a the therapist because yep. we are there because the child is missing skills, right? Yep. He's missing some um, uh, something that is inhibiting their ability to move forward. So our job is to get in there and teach them, you know, give them that though, those skills, that skill set so that they can continue to progress. So let me just tell you about my son. So my son is autistic. Um, he has a lot of sensory differences. Um, uh, the anxiety goes along with the autism because he likes everything to be the same. So my son has had very little direct therapy over the years. I have never pushed for more therapy in school because I want my son in the classroom as much as possible because he needs to 
develop that ability. You know, he's very chatty. And so his issue is he needs to learn to be quiet when the teacher is talking, you know, to not talk over other kids, things like that. So I want him in the classroom as much as possible. So I've never pushed for excessive amounts of therapy. And yet my son is thriving. I mean, if you follow me on social media, you know, every yeah. Sunday I post. And I mean, he just had a huge breakthrough this past Sunday. Please go back and read it. I mean, it almost brings tears to my eyes to tell you what an amazing day it was. Um, uh, it was related to getting a haircut. My son continues to make progress, and it's because he um, is developing the ability to tolerate change. He's more yep. flexible in his thinking. He's able to plan and predict how this unfamiliar experience is going to go. I'm, I'm telling you, what I didn't know, and I now know, is we are building his executive function skills. There you go. He's never had... Um, a goal written for executive function. This And this is why I don't want a lot of therapy because I think we need to focus on things that are um, practiced in life, not practiced in a therapy room, if you will. Exactly. So exactly. for me, um, because I live this every day of my life, um, watching my son grow and develop and make the kind of progress, I mean, he, can I just tell you, like, this will be my post next Sunday, so you guys will get a little insight. Here. But he had a friend come over today and swim in our pool. He's never had nice. a friend come over ever. He came. His friend, because Aaron is a, is going to be a junior. Um, kids his age are driving, and his friend has autism, but is very low support. He doesn't need. He's in regular classrooms. I mean, he doesn't have an IEP anymore. Um, and so he came over and swam, and then they went up to his room and they played a half hour video game. So he was here. Nice. Hours, they had a snack, and I just sort of was like. I let them do their own thing, but I was just checking in every now and then. And I was so shocked because I didn't know my son knew how to have a conversation with another kid. And it was amazing. And um, I it just gives me such hope that, you know, so what you're doing with your kids um, in your, your summer it. outings, love I it. just love it so much, Mike. I mean, yeah. I, look at it and I go, this is what our, our students need. This is what they need is, is a diverse experience. They need to be pushed out of their comfort zone. They need to to um, do things that um, they've never done before and be okay with it. Exactly. And this is exactly what you and I will be discussing in our, in our future book. You know, yeah. this is, this is it. it. It's the, it's the experiences yeah. and parents. It is, I'm telling you parents, it is your responsibility. You're seeing progress in your son because you are constantly putting him in new experiences. You know, he has his things he loves that you talk about it, things he perseverates on and things that he loves, but you make sure he's constantly being pushed in various settings and yeah. guess what? And guess what parents, if you want your kids to have varied experiences with which they need to be independent, you're going to hear no sometimes. Yeah. You're going to hear, mom, you're so annoying. You're going to hear some curse words. <laughs> you're going to see some dysregulation. It doesn't matter. You push them. And I guarantee you, someday they're going to thank you for it. It's not going to be when they're below 18 years old, but someday they're going to say, hey, mom, you know what? I'm glad you took my video games away. Right. I'm glad you made me go out and make some friends. I'm glad you signed me up for the local YMCA. I'm glad you made. I'm glad you made me do Boy Scouts. I'm glad you made me play soccer. I'm glad you I'm, bought me a bike and made. There me you go. Right. Exactly. We kids. We wrote. I mean, that's my childhood in a nutshell. If I did describe yep. my childhood, I was born yep. in 1971. My childhood. We played outside and we rode bikes. There you go. That's my childhood in a nutshell. Today, kids don't play outside and they rarely ride bikes unless forced, unless they're forced to. So what we're trying to do is say, look, there are some things that you can't let screen time replace, right? It's the displacement theory. I've talked about that before. You have to ask yourself. Screw The iPad came out in 2010. 
Yeah, and look how much look, look how much the world has changed. Out in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, yep. nobody yep. could afford them except the really wealthy until about two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. So we're talking about ten years. We've had yep. these handheld devices, and yep. it's completely turned our Chang world upside changed down. Everything. Changed everything. Changed so everything. You have to ask yourself when a young child, a child of any age, is sitting for three hours in front of a screen. You have to ask yourself, what is this displacing? Yeah, because it's displacing something. And the, what the research is showing is that it's displacing play. It's displacing um, like fine motor activities like coloring and playing with stickers, you know, things like that. It is displacing going outside. It is displacing playing with friends. It's displacing everything. It's displacing true experiences. Exactly. And it's displacing true adversity. You know, yeah, yes. so, so yes, kids can play a game and they can lose or they can get killed or they can't beat the final boss, whatever it is. But that's not true adversity. That's not but them. It's, what, it's, it's, a, it's a character on a screen. They, they yeah, they, 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 that, that's what I'm saying. We're, we're yep. playing a video game They're and right I'm back starting to, it. to lose and I'm like, boop, yep. reset. I'm not yep. going to lose. Oh, play, play, play. Oh, crap, I'm losing. Beep, reset. Do, do, do. So this is the problem I have is the adversity that we see on screen-based play does not even come close to matching the adversity in real life. So this is why we have eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds in elementary school, and they're out in PE, and they're forced to play kickball, and they all hate it because they're forced to play kickball, and the kid kicks the ball and runs first, and he gets thrown out, and this nine-year-old has an epic meltdown where everybody's like, it looks like a two-year-old on the ground kicking yep. and screaming because he got thrown out. Well, guess exactly. what? He's never dealt with one iota of adversity in his entire life, and now exactly. you expect him to know how to just magically handle handle it in PE exactly. class, I'm mm -hmm. telling you, we have to get our heads out of our you-know-what and start understanding that screen time does not reflect any aspects of real life. And when they are uh, doing screen time, do you know where they're definitely not feeling adversity is up here right. because they're, they're getting constant dopamine to yep. the point where they're literally running out. So yep. that's why when your son is done playing four hours of video game, he doesn't want to sit with the dinner. If he, uh, he doesn't want to sit with the family at dinner. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to go for a walk. He doesn't want to do his homework after playing hours of video games because he is all the dopamine is gone. And now he's irritable and he's yep. tired and he's frustrated and he's going to cause a lot of problems in your house because you let him play games for four hours before doing his homework. So, so our, our really good friend here, Nick underscore SLP09, please stress to parents that these varied experiences don't have to be things they're paying for. And oh, I love, love that comment. You. Love thank that you. comment. That is that, that right there. Literally every single thing that Carrie and I push are 100% free. The changes that schools need to make. We're not talking about enrolling them in T-ball nope. or enrolling nope. them in gymnastics. That just is That's more it. adult directed. We are talking about go outside and play, but there's nothing to do. That's the yep. point. That's go the point. Outside, go outside. Don't come back for one hour, right? Exactly. For one hour. Yep. And unfortunately, we're going to have to guide our kids because they don't know. They have. No they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. Yep. No idea. Yep. They'll sit on the porch and wait until they can have their phone again. Yep. They'll wait. That's exact. Hour. That's exactly what it is. But you know what? Have them go outside. I have one parent now who's having a lot of success with her son because, you know, she goes outside and gardens every day. And I was like, hey, make your son go out there and garden with you. Yep. Make him make him pull the weeds. Right. Make him do some yard work. And make him do some things choice. outside. Do you want to pull weeds or do you want to yep. walk? 
Like there I'm you go. all about giving choices because there are certain chores that I honestly hate that my husband doesn't mind and yeah. vice versa. So, you know, I'm okay with negotiation. Like my, yep. you and I are going to, you know, do some non-preferred activities together. There you go. I'm yeah. totally fine with, with, with working that out. So yep. giving choices, but we are never suggesting that you need to enroll your child in something that is adult directed. We are talking about our children today need more varied experiences that revolve around unstructured free play, right? Where you entertain yourself where you go outside, just go for a walk. Amazing things happen when you walk around the neighborhood, right? Exactly. You talk to people, you see things you didn't know existed before, you talk to pets, right? So, I mean, it can start with a walk if it has to. But um, thank you for bringing that up, that we're not talking about enrolling your child or your student in more and more um, nope. extracurricular activities because that is in no way going to solve any of this. So. One prediction I'm making about our next book right here is yeah. that a lot of the changes Finland made saved a lot of money. So yeah. we're, so, so we're talking a lot with, throughout this book, uh, Paul Tuff talks about the millions of dollars from NASA, the millions oh, yeah. of dollars from the government that were literally wasted, gone, no help, no nothing. All it did was put a brand name and push the cognitive hypothesis when right. it doesn't work with human beings. Human beings are herd animals. Human beings are social animals. And yeah. if we're going to throw, you know, numbers and flashcards and worksheets at them, nothing's going to get better because it's not applicable to the real world. That's so right. so when we're talking about school reform, when we're talking about the missing link, when we're talking about reviving education, you know, it's really all about, it's not about money, it's nope. about experiences. You know, why, why don't schools have greater partnerships with their local community, especially exactly. especially public schools that are in these small towns. Why don't these schools have stronger relationships with the public library, with the local grocery store, with the post office? You know, why don't you, so here, here's a really fascinating thing. When kids come to my clinic and I'm in like one of my first couple of sessions with them, I'll, like I'll ask them what town they live in, where they live. And then I'll say, oh, what, uh, what things do you live by? Like what, what, what's your neighborhood like? And so many kids today have no idea, no idea. What, the, what, even, what their neighborhood is like. They have no idea. They can't find their house on Google Maps. They can't on Google Earth. They can't even find their home. They don't even know anything about their neighborhood because 99% of their life is in the house. They don't know where their local Wawa is. Wawa is like a, like a, like a grocery store around here. Here in the Midwest, we have quick trips. It's like there you go. Wawa. There you I go. So Wawa's, by the way, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get so excited to go to a Wawa. Yeah, so there you go. So they, they don't know where any of these local things are because they're spending all of their time in the home on screens. Remember and that's a problem. Or two weeks ago, I said, when, you're, when your child begins to drive, you need to actually challenge them and say, all right, we're going to church. We go the same way to church. We've gone that way for 16 years. I want you to find a different path. What if this road is closed? And I mean, it will literally throw them through. They'll be like, I don't know how else to get there. Um, you need to figure it out. You need that. You yep. have to know that is a skill. That's a life skill, right? Is being able to navigate in your community. So the one thing we're getting close to end here, but I, I just, since this book was called how children succeed, the main thing, and I actually started in my notes, cause I wanted to make sure that I said this is, yep. to me, the whole book ends with this kind of summary, if you will. How to succeed equals how to learn from, or they use the word recover from failure. And mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, that's really mm -hmm. what the chapter was about. They didn't give us a step one, step two, step three. Here's how you fix what's wrong in education. But if you want to help children succeed, you have to learn, teach them how to recover from failure. So that means you have to give them opportunity to fail, which, um, you know, is goes back to the parenting style. So I, I think that... Um, 
you know, and they went into this chapter, you know, and we're not going to get into it, but it was really fascinating that they said, you know, education and poverty have become one topic of conversation. So on page mm-hmm. 187, mm-hmm. they were talking about how it used to be we talked about poverty and we talked about education. They were two separate topics. But unfortunately, the achievement gap between rich and poor has become the entire focus now of when we talk about education. And so um, it said the idea that schools could become a powerful anti-poverty tool sparked a movement, and it was called the Education Reform Movement um, it, on page 189. And so uh, it's this whole idea, you know, the education debate now, now equals the poverty debate. But what I found most fascinating is that the only way that we have, the only number we have in schools about poverty is the school lunch numbers, right? How many people get free or reduced lunches? So whatever that percentage is, that tells us how poor our school is. But it was just really on on page 193 and 194, what I wrote. So let's just turn to that real quick, Mike. 193 Mm -hmm. and 194. I wrote in my notes, solutions are outlined on page 193 and 194. So I just want to read these real quick. um, That, um, let me see here. Um, da, 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 da. The system as a whole is extremely expensive, wildly inefficient, has a very low rate of success. They're talking about the cognitive hypothesis. But we could design, this is at the bottom of page 193, we could design an entirely different system for children who are dealing with deep and pervasive adversity at home. So they're talking about those kids who have great trauma early on, right? Um, it would start with, and isn't this fascinating to think about, Mike, a comprehensive pediatric wellness center. Like and think in about, that yeah. wellness center, yeah. you would have every professional. There, would, you wouldn't have to go to ten different clinics. You know, it would it would have everybody there. Um, it might continue with parenting interventions that increase the chance of secure attachment. You go to page one ninety four. It might involve a program like Tools of the Mind that promotes executive function skills and self regulation in young children. Um, we want to make sure that students uh, were in good schools, of course, but we want that to be supplemented by social and psychological and character building interventions outside the classroom. Perhaps we could have a program that directs uh, students toward higher education and tries to prepare them for college, not only academically, but also emotionally and psychologically. And it said then it ended in that paragraph, a coordinated system like that um, uh, would uh would be, you know, is a potential to help those students who are, when we talk about that achievement gap, those who are struggling, those who are, you know, um, really whose families are struggling financially. So um, I don't know. It, it's There is no simple answer for education reform. But what Mike and I have talked about incessantly is that it starts with executive function training. There right? you go. There you go. So so this is this is a, another good thing I have highlighted here and it's a great summary to end this book. Okay. So we're talking about the intervention. So so he writes on page 196, parents are an excellent vehicle for those interventions to build executive function skills, but they are not the only vehicle. Right. Transformative help also comes regularly from social workers teachers, clergy members, pediatricians, and neighbors. So really any fit adult. Right. We, we, can, we can argue about whether those interventions should be provided by the government or a nonprofit or, uh, or a religious institution or a combination of all of them. But here's the thing. We cannot argue anymore that there's nothing we can do, period. Right. And this is exactly where you and I come in. We, yep. are, this, we are way too passionate about this, and we talk about it all the time. This and book, in the next paragraph, Mike, yep. it says, as uh-huh. a nation, are you ready? As a nation, we should change our approach to child development because it will save us money, 
and improve the economy. I mean, this is what's fascinating is what you and I are talking about as the first step to education mm-hmm. reform mm-hmm. is not going, it's not about pouring millions and millions of dollars. It's about refocusing on the, the frontal cortex. Exactly. Right? Refo- the exactly. Prefrontal cortex. It's about focusing on teaching children how to think about thinking, right? How to plan, how to organize, how to be told no, how to develop self-control, um, uh, self-regulation. Uh, and so it's not about good grades. And we're not saying academics don't matter. Academics matter. Of course, of course. Academics, we want, we, we're never saying academics don't matter. What we're saying is high stakes testing, like the ACT and SAT, we have shown time, the research has shown time and time again, are not predicting who's successful in college. There you go. There you go. It's and and I absolutely loved the app, the final sentence of this entire book. So that he's talking about all the kids that learn to succeed and all the kids who persevered. They are there uh, only because someone helped them take the first step. And look, so I there you go. The there you last, go. Yes, someone helped them take the first step. And we've so said we have, over and we'll yep. end on this note. It doesn't take. 100 people, it takes one person who one is a person. mentor, one person, whether it's a parent, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a counselor, an SLP, it takes one person who takes a vested interest in this child, who yep. has a connection, who focuses on their relationship, who builds trust, who opens up the lines of communication and says, I'll, you can do hard things and I'm here to help you, right? So, yep. So, um, so, so, so three things, someone who builds a rapport, builds a relationship, uh, someone who pushes them out of their comfort zone and someone who forces them to do these non-preferred things, not forces them, but, uh-huh. you know, walks them through non-preferred tasks. Yep. That's and really raises, what it is. So r- rapport, yep. relationships, and varied experiences mm-hmm. have got mm-hmm. to be a part of home. So parents, that's your job. And it's got to be a thing for school as well. So that's really what it all is. All it is. You know, we talk about how you, you don't remember a random day in class you remember the field trips. You remember yeah. the lunches. You remember, you remember the recesses. The you remember the experiences. You remember so more experiences. You casino night, your senior year in high school. There you go. You spent the night in the high school. I mean, <laughs> the things I remember from high school um, were the experiences. I remember being in orchestra and traveling to Chicago to play. You know, I mean, yeah. experiences are what matter. One of my social media posts like five years ago, a long time. I mean, it was it was so long ago, but I just sticks with me is it was a picture of like a little kid like on the beach. And it said, your child will never remember his best day of TV. There you go. Never. What never. is your child going to remember? Right. Yeah. They're going exactly. to remember sitting down and playing go fish with them, right? Yep. They're going to remember um, that when they made you a birthday card, that you were so ecstatic and that you hung it on the refrigerator or took it to work. You know, they remember the things that matter. And so, um, I don't know. I'm super excited, you guys. Our next book, we'll start next Monday, is called Finish Lessons 2.0. Um, oh, yeah. What can the world learn from educational change in Finland? So, if anybody is from Finland, I cannot wait for you to tell oh, them yeah. um, and join in our conversation. Tell Tell us all about um, so, it. Yeah, this will be our book. Um, Mike, I, you know, I have stuff highlighted in this book, so I clearly have read parts of it. Uh-huh. Um, it looks like I got about halfway through it and then the highlighting stops, but it's been a while. So I am super excited. It looks like we've got a thing. Um, it looks like we've got a foreword and it looks like we've got a preface. And I've we can probably do the intro. Highlighted. So I think we go ahead. We won't start with chapter one. We're going to do everything up through the introduction for next week. So Okay. 
Let's um, do it. We'll, you know, we'll start chapter one the next week then, because gosh, the introduction even goes all the way to page 16. So we're going to do the first 16 pages for next week because I have quite a bit highlighted. So I'm thinking that it might be, you know, worth spending some time on. Um, so I want to thank everybody for joining us. This is, again, it's Mike and I, it's our favorite night of the week. So that's um, right. We are super excited. Mike, thank you again for another intriguing and fascinating conversation. I just, I love spending time uh, doing yes. chats with you. This is, so so just like we're saying, the memories, by the time Friday rolls around, I don't remember, you know, a random session. I remember these Monday nights. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I, and I got to tell you, all of these comments and all of these interactions, I have so many people messaging me, DMing me throughout the week. And please, if you, if you never reached out to me, I, I answer all my DMs, reach out. I have so many people reaching out to me saying, uh, you know, I love the chapter chats. I've learned so much. I, I've made my husband watch them. I've made my <laughs> friends watch them. You know, I, I get so many great comments from you guys. And hey, this is literally just the beginning. We, got through, we got through our first book. And we're going to be doing this for a long, long time. We are. So, Mike, tell them about um, podcasts, though, for the people who are new and don't know how else they can listen and tell their friends. Yep. So all of the recordings are on Carrie's Instagram, so you'll be able to find them there. Uh, and then also, if you go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts, you can type in Education Chapter Chat. There's like one or two other chapter chats, so we call it Education Chapter Chat. And you'll see you know, both of our faces. You'll see the blue logo. Uh, and you can find all the replays there. You can listen to them on the you know treadmill. Like. Our yeah, pictures you, are on the logo. So. You know us. I, I might have black hair in my picture, but it's, it's okay. But uh, but mine's dyed. You don't know what my real hair. Yeah, there you go. Yep. But definitely, hey, listen to all the episodes. You can, you know, if tonight was your first night, we had we had a great turnout tonight. Uh, if, if tonight was your first night, you know, go back and read the old ones. And they're, we're going to keep uploading all of them up there, and and we're getting a, we're getting a lot of downloads, uh, which is which is which is really nice to see. So a lot of people who may not be able to join us on Monday nights are listening later in the week. So uh, it, it's already becoming a really popular podcast. It is, and we appreciate you sharing it with your friends and your colleagues, um, your neighbors, whoever you think would be interested. Mike and I are just sort of we don't practice this, we don't even talk yeah. ahead of time. Literally, yeah. when we get on. Um, we have no idea what we're going to talk about. We don't script anything. We talked about, should we? And we are like, we kind of like a yeah. conversation. So the feedback we've gotten from you guys is that you guys like the conversation style. So that's just the way we keep doing it. And it seems to work, right, Mike? It's so much fun. This is, is. This, this is literally, you know, I, I start to get like a little bit of like anxiety around like 745. So I, I just get so like good anxiety, like like yeah, jumpy, yeah. like 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 I know I'm about it's to do something fun. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like yeah. like I, no, I know it's going to happen, and I'm just, I'm so excited for this book. And and not only am I excited to read it, but I'm excited to share it with you guys because with yeah. this book I read previously, like as soon as I found out it was a book, I read it instantly. It's like this book was made for someone like me. Yeah. And then and then this book, you know, we'll be reading it the same time as you guys. Yeah. So this is a true book Yeah, club. you've never read this book, right? Mike? Never, you never. It, right? I, I bought it like two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited about that because, again, since you and I had both read this one, not that yeah. it changed it, but we already knew kind of what was coming, you know? And yep. so I think finished lessons, it'll be interesting. And in no way, shape, or form, I mean, we completely understand the United States is so much bigger than Finland. But yep. the way I always look at it is if every state 
could run their education system like Finland, that would be comparable as opposed to a huge country. So we're looking at more state control because in order to make something like this happen, Finland is a very small country comparatively. Yep. So keep that in mind if you're going to and, and let us know. Are you going to read along with us? I'm curious. Oh, you know, you... Allison Moulton is going to read along because she was That's the right. of the book and we sent her a copy of this. So I know she'll be reading along, but we'd love to know if you plan to follow along. And if not, we're going to do an overview of every chapter for you. So um, that's why we decided to do this because people are so busy and so many people just don't have the time to read, but want the information. So um, we're excited. Um, good. So yeah, I see several yep. people following along, yep. so reading along. So definitely, definitely read. De yeah, so we, we have started already. So definitely read along with us. You know, this is a true, true chapter chat. You know, yes, some, book, sometimes book club. Yeah, it's a it's a true online. book club, a yeah, true book so. club. You know, we, we want people to be interactive. We want to, yeah. you know, we, everybody who attends these lives is part of the book club. That's right. So we appreciate it. You guys take care. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you next Monday. And we will start uh, another uh, book, our second book in chapter chat. So all care. right, have yep. a wonderful week. Hug that baby for me, and sure will. see you next Monday. Okay. See you Bye, soon. Guys. Bye, guys. Bye.